0: This is the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. We're pleased to have with us today Attorneys Matthew Berkowitz, Brian O'Shea, and Samantha Lewis from the law firm Car Maloney in Washington, D.C., Matt is a member of the firm with significant class-action experience, regularly representing national, regional, local corporations, employers, retailers, manufacturers, automobile dealerships, credit reporting agencies, financial institutions, debt collection agencies, law firms, among others, in class-action under federal and state laws. Associate Attorney Brian O'Shea has successfully defended class-action lawsuits involving mass torts, products liability... Defective Design and Warranty Claims, Cybersecurity and Data Breach, and Consumer Protection Claims. And Associate Attorney Samantha Lewis focuses her practice on Professional Liability, Directors and Officers Liability, and Employment and Labor Law. We're very pleased to have you with us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Today's discussion is going to be on Class Action Settlements, and for our first question, are there any significant differences between Class Action Settlements and Regular Settlements?
1: that. Um, as many people know, uh, typically settlement agreements between a standard plaintiff and defendant is, is very much a private contract. It's very straightforward, um, and it's a private contract that does not, generally does not need court approval. Uh, class actions are a different beast um, because you're dealing with the public and you're off, you're dealing with absent class members. And as such, Uh, because they're absent class members, the courts take an active role uh, in scrutinizing the settlement. uh, And in order for a settlement to occur in a class action, there needs to be uh, court approval. And uh, court approval is governed by the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure 23E. And really the question, what the court's looking for, is whether the settlement, both in terms of procedure, and substance is fair, adequate, and reasonable, and that could be both in terms of monetary relief awarded, to be in the form of the attorney's fees, and it certainly can be uh, in the form of non-monetary relief, and it also looks at how absent class members are getting noticed in terms of the procedural mechanism. Um, and then a few years ago, there were some amendments, and a few years ago, there was the enactment of the Class Action Fairness Act, also known as CAFA.
2: With respect to the 2018 amendments to Rule 23, they primarily affect notice, settlement, and appeal. With respect to settlement, Rule 23 requires an analysis of four factors to determine whether the settlement is fair, adequate, and reasonable. These factors include the adequacy of representation by class representatives and class counsel, whether settlement negotiations were at arm's length, the adequacy of relief provided to the class, and the equity of treatment of class members relative to one another. With respect to CAFA, litigants are required to provide notice of class action settlements to the United States Department of Justice, and DOJ may object to settlements that they believe are unfair, inequitable to unnamed class members. Historically, however, DOJ has rarely intervened, but beginning in 2018, it has began to take a more aggressive stance and issued multiple statements of interest to the presiding courts at issue.
0: Brian, can you discuss recent cases where the court has applied increased scrutiny to a class action settlement?
3: So there were uh, a few uh, notable cases recently. Uh, Fairly uh, recently, there was the uh, Subway class action litigation uh, over their uh, footlong sandwiches. Um, The court did not approve the settlement uh, because um, while Subway uh, agreed to pay out some money, um, the fees that were going to class counsel, hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees, were not adequate when compared to the uh, sandwich vouchers that the uh, class plaintiffs received. Uh, the court found that that was not fair and did not approve the settlement. Uh, also, fairly recently, uh, there was a notable uh, class action case involving Yahoo dealing with a, um, um, a data breach involving about $3 billion Yahoo! users. Yahoo! agreed to pay out hundreds of millions of dollars to resolve the case. However, the court uh, did not, uh, initially, did not approve the settlement because Yahoo! did not agree to take specific steps regarding their data security and data management practices to make sure that uh, this data breach, this type of data breach, did not happen again. And then um, there was Frank v. Gauss as well, which was a recent case. I think Sam is going to take.
2: Sure, that's also known as the Google case. Uh, it was a class action settlement in the form of a side price settlement. Side price settlements and class actions are those that distribute all or as part of mo- the monetary relief to public interest for charitable recipients instead of class members. Many have challenged the legitimacy of side price settlements in providing adequate relief. The Supreme Court heard the issue, but they sidestepped on such question.
0: And Brian, can you comment a little bit on the Yahoo case?
3: There were 3 billion uh, users who were affected by uh, a data breach involving um, Yahoo. Uh, Yahoo agreed to pay out hundreds of millions of dollars eventually, uh, but initially the settlement was not approved, uh, as I said, because um, Yahoo did not agree to take specific steps regarding um their uh, data management practices and data security.
0: And are there any noteworthy current settlements with increased scrutiny?
3: There are. Uh, If uh, you've been watching the news lately, uh, anyone out there I'm sure has heard about the Equifax settlement. Um, Equifax has agreed to uh, pay out about $380 million uh, to resolve this case against them. However, and, and the idea was that uh, class plaintiffs who filed claims could get about $125 each um, or elect uh, ongoing credit monitoring for free. However, millions of people have uh, made claims for monetary relief, and now the result is likely to be that uh, class plaintiffs who made such claims will get about cents uh, on the dollar compared to the uh, $125 they would have gotten before. There is a fairness hearing that is set for December in this case, so it is yet to be seen whether the court will actually approve the settlement.
0: So you all have addressed some recent key, key decisions and cases. In light of these cases, what are some important considerations for our audience when entering into class action settlements?
1: Well, this is Matt, and I'll just start. And it, it kind of comes back to um, what we said at the outset, is that this is going to, going into a settlement, have to be aware that you're going to need court approval. So you're going to have to be aware that the court is looking to make sure that the settlement is fair, adequate, and reasonable. Um, and that could be in terms of making sure that there's uh, enough, you could say, money on the table to fairly add uh, uh, to to compensate the plaintiff. You also need to be aware that in a class action settlement, people can opt out if the money is not sufficient. Um, also going to have to be aware that there are certain notice requirements and that the settlements are going to take time. So this isn't necessarily a very private uh, agreement that could be resolved within a, a couple of weeks and money distributed in a couple of weeks or a settlement check in a, in a week or two. This is something that requires a fairness hearing. It requires a hearing. It requires uh, briefing. It requires notice to absent class members. Uh, Their rights to opt out of the class, and then certainly uh, the court um, to approve. And as Sam mentioned earlier, different uh, the Attorney General, as well as DOJ from different states, to have the opportunity to to object to it. And then I think Brian had a couple of points as well. Well, well,
3: Sam. Well, yeah. In addition to the adequacy of the money, which is always important, uh, as happened in the Yahoo case, it's important for anyone resolving a class action to consider uh, agreeing to take specific steps um, in order to make sure that the, in order to redress the claim. So Yahoo needed to take specific steps regarding data security um, and uh, other, you know, and Equifax has agreed to do a, take similar steps. So uh, the non-monetary relief is an important consideration as well.
2: Going off of that, uh, it's important to ensure that the class action settlement negotiations were at arm's length. Um, many commentators and legal and analysts out there suggest uh, utilizing a third-party mediator um, to avoid any potential bias uh, amongst uh, the parties.
0: Okay, thanks very much. And what's the impact on the defendant's insurer as part of the settlement?
2: Yeah, that's a good question,
1: too, and that kind of goes a little bit what we're talking about as far as court approval. And, you know, typically, a defendant in in the insurance company, you know, the goal often is to uh, pay as little as possible. Um, Obviously, that's still the goal as part of a class action settlement, but because the court is going to be scrutinizing, it um, often... um, the insurance company as well as the defendants going to have to make sure that um the settlement I- I- is adequate. Uh recently I had a case where it-, it was a great day for my client and they were effectively um paying you know, I don't want to say peanuts, uh but it was a very good settlement we entered into. It was, We had a lot of defenses. Um but what happened was, uh, you know, it went before the court, and the attorney general had intervened um, and called into question whether uh, it was adequate in terms of monetary relief because of um, uh, because it could be seen that certain plaintiffs were getting pennies on the dollar. So, uh, what could happen on a rejected settlement is you're now spending money briefing the issue, sending out notices to class members, um, and it gets rejected. Um, you're now incurring defense costs when that could have been going to settlement. And and that settlement then could get overturned by a court, and then you wind up having to litigate it and wind up spending more money. Uh, The other issue is that uh, not only might it, if if the money is not adequate, and that could be a a long-term cost for the insurance company, that it's going to, the case would continue when the hope was it was going to settle. The other problem is that if, Uh, As Brian was kind of alluding to in in the Equifax case, if that uh, uh, putative class members are seeing that they're only going to get pennies on the dollar or a very low uh, award, they have the option of uh, uh, opting out of the class and bringing their own claim individually. So if the overall pool of money is low and people are aware that it's low and they can tell that their share is going to be insignificant, they may choose to opt out and then bring individual claims. And I think the last thing that an insurance company wants is to settle a matter, which it was hoping to be final and resolve this in full. And the next thing they know, they have 100, 200, 300 class members opting out and bringing 300 individual suits. Um, so that is not necessarily guarding against the risks that it was hoping to when entering into a settlement. So I guess the moral of the story is, is, going back to that first question and the last question kind of bookend, that because it requires court approval, because it's got to be fair, adequate, and reasonable, um, you're sometimes looking to make sure that the monetary relief uh, is not necessarily what you think is to be your best day today, but what is going to be your best day uh, six months or a year from now um, in fully resolving uh, the class action with finality.
0: You've just listened to attorneys Matthew Berkowitz, Brian O'Shea, and Samantha Lewis from the law firm Car Maloney in Washington, D.C., and special thanks to today's producer, Frank Vowinkle And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to our webpage, www.ambest.com slash claims resource. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professionals and Claims Resource is the top website for locating qualified professionals and need-to-know insurance information for the claims market. Brought to you by AMBest, the world leader in insurance industry information. Visit ambest.com slash claimsresource.